Today I wanted to start off with some irrefutable facts about climate change. The first, global warming is happening right now. The second, the burning of fossil fuels produces greenhouse gases, the most abundant of which in our atmosphere is carbon dioxide, and those greenhouse gases trap heat, and that is what causes global warming. The third is that 90% or more of scientists agree this is all happening, and it's because of humans. And the fourth is there is more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than there has been for hundreds of thousands of years, and this trapping of heat in our atmosphere is going to cause possibly catastrophic global warming that if left unchecked is going to make life very uncomfortable for thousands of years. Whatever you may have heard before, those four factors are no longer in debate. They are like me saying the earth has gravity. But for the past four years, US President Donald Trump has downplayed climate change, rolling back 80 environmental rules and regulations with another 20 rollbacks still in progress. This is all according to research from the Environmental and Energy Law Program at Harvard Law School. But this is all set to change now that Joe Biden has been elected as the next president of the United States. He has signaled his administration will look at climate change not as a risk to be downplayed, but as an opportunity to be addressed. I say opportunity because not addressing it is the most inopportune decision our world can make. And if done right, our action against climate change can have some serious benefits, not least of which is our continued survival as a species. Biden has pledged to take ambitious climate action once he is in office, detailing his plans in a long white paper that is on his election website. But Biden will likely come up against the Senate, still controlled by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, those individuals that are resistant to sweeping federal regulations on climate change. So what can a Biden administration do when it doesn't have the backing of the legislative branch of the U.S. government? And how will investors be affected by those various doings. Well, to figure that out, I spoke with five of our analysts about five things we think the Biden administration can easily do to tackle climate change early in his presidency. We will discuss what those actions are and how they will affect investors and the industries we cover. This is ESG Now. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Okay, so today we are talking about the likely ways that President-elect Joe Biden will address climate change and how that will affect companies and investors. And the way I see it, there are a couple quick wins for the Biden administration. They can rejoin the Paris Agreement. They can sign an executive order instructing federal agencies to develop new methane limits for oil and gas wells. They can reverse a 2017 executive order that called on federal agencies to dismantle their climate policies. They can reinstate fuel efficiency standards for cars, and they can tighten efficiency standards for appliances and buildings. So let's take it one at a time. First, the climate agreement. On June 1st, 2017, President Trump announced the U.S. would withdraw from the Paris Agreement, becoming the first and only country to do so. We officially left on November 4th, and Biden said he plans to rejoin as soon as he is able. But the Paris Agreement is a non-binding document, and most countries aren't making enough progress to meet the nationally determined contributions they issued as a plan for them to meet the parameters set in the Paris Accord. So why should the world care whether or not we rejoin the Paris Agreement, and is the agreement actually making any progress on keeping global warming below the two degree limit that is spelled out in the accord to keep us from catastrophe. To answer that, I called up my colleague Oliver Marchand, who was actually at the signing of the Paris Agreement, but more importantly, he's on our climate desk and he does research on climate change. So I wanted to know the answers to my dying questions about us rejoining the Paris Accord, whether or not it's just fluff or it's actually quite useful. The nationally determined contributions are currently 
on a three-degree path, which still is way too much. Um, but um, just recent calculations um, by different scientific bodies have shown that if you add the climate commitments from China and the U.S. climate commitments, you you come up with a uh, 2.3 to 2.4 uh, degree warming by uh, 2100. And that's a massive increase, you know, in climate ambition. And, you know, that basically means if you keep if we keep being on this trajectory, and the Paris Agreement has this wretched up mechanism, which basically says if you're in the Paris Agreement, and as a country, you've committed to some climate action, you can't go back. You, the only thing you can do is you can step it up like a, you know, like a tool, like a ratchet. His view is that the Paris Agreement is like the North Star for climate action. And that star is only really bright and worth noticing if the largest emitters, the U.S. being one of them, is part of the agreement. Climate change is not a binary phenomenon. There are various scenarios for the future. And while the Paris Accord isn't meeting the best case scenario as of now, it is providing a plan that can be ratcheted up and used to push us toward a better scenario than we would have without it. Okay, so now that we're back in the Paris Accord, now what? Well, that brings us to our second action, the reversal of a 2017 executive order that called on federal agencies to dismantle their climate policies. In its place, Biden would likely try to put forth a plan that would help the U.S. achieve the decarbonization of power generation by utilities by 2035. We don't know the details of how the Biden administration might do this, but we can look at how other countries have fared in trying to decarbonize the utility sector. And so I called up Valina Karazova, who covers the utility sector for us, to ask what other countries have done to try to cut their emissions over the past four years. Uh, one of the options that we have seen playing out in, uh, in Europe, for example, is introduction of carbon taxes. Whether that will be a straight carbon tax or that will be something like a carbon emissions trading scheme, similar to what uh, the European Union emissions trading scheme looks like. Um, we, uh, we don't know, but that is, one of the, that is one of the options that they may look at. Another option which has actually been quite successful uh, in Europe and uh, it didn't necessarily address carbon emissions per se, but it addressed uh, pollution from power generation plants is the so-called um, BREF regulation or a regulation that uh, stipulates the maximum emissions that power plants can, can emit. And that includes carbon, it includes um, it includes NOx emissions, it, it includes SOx emissions, so it includes pretty much uh, all the air pollutants that, uh, that uh, fossil fuel power plants uh, emit. And with old uh, fossil fuel power plants, which is the case in Europe, uh, the emissions levels were set at, uh, at such a level that all the power plants couldn't meet, and they had to choose between a large investment in order to meet those emission standards or to just close the old capacity. Investments were actually not economically feasible. So quite a lot of the coal power plants in Europe uh, would close in the next couple of years as a result of that, uh, of that regulation. Okay, so that's a carbon tax and a way to address overall emissions that basically shut down the coal sector in Europe. What is important for the energy sector in the U.S. is transparency. If Biden plans to decarbonize the utility sector, then the sector needs time 
to implement what would be required to achieve it. Valina looked at around 50 to 55 utilities in our coverage, and she saw that 40 of them are reliant on fossil fuels to generate their power, and only 70% of those 55 have decarbonization targets, and only two or three of those 70% have plans that would meet a decarbonization target by 2035. But one of the things Biden has going for him is that it is a very convenient time in the U.S. for gas-powered and coal-powered power plants to change course. Because uh, the coal plants uh, are reasonably old. Uh, the average age of the coal uh, assets in, in the U.S. is 46 years old. So they, they're, they're well past their technical lives. And by 2035, they can close it reasonably low cost with no assets funding risk. The, the gas assets are reasonably newer. They're around 20 years old uh, at the moment, but by 2035, they would reach uh, somewhere in the mid uh, 30, 35 years. And they can also close uh, at a reasonably low cost. So actually sending such a strong signal now and allowing companies to plan at this point in time would be very very beneficial for companies. Okay, so the Biden administration will likely rejoin the Paris Accord and it will likely push for the decarbonization of the power generation sector by 2035. Okay, so what's next? An executive order instructing federal agencies to develop new methane limits for oil and gas wells. This is a good old wonky regulation. Methane is a natural gas and a potent greenhouse gas with 25 times warming potential of CO2 and oil producers drill to extract oil. Oil. And when they are drilling, they sometimes release methane into the atmosphere. So what would these regulations do to the gas and oil industry if they were to try to limit methane leaks out of wells? To find out, I called up Antonios Panagiotopoulos, our resident gas guru. And here's what he had to say. We do expect that this is going to increase the cost, uh, as in the cost per well to drill, uh, just because uh, companies will need to install either uh, methane uh, detection uh, um, equipment or uh, uh, some other equipment to take away the methane. Uh, however, the important part is, uh, as I said, that the cost is going to increase and therefore some larger companies are uh, likely to go through that transition to a stricter regulation smoother than smaller companies which will have more costs to bear especially at a low price uh, environment that we are now that is because the equipment is expensive and large oil extraction companies can deal with those costs but the smaller guys the mom and pop oil and gas extractors won't be able to afford the new tech antonio's told me that the epa has already had a voluntary program in place to prevent methane leaks from oil and gas wells but not many Companies have really taken it seriously. All right, that's Paris, decarbonization, methane produced from oil and gas wells. What is next? All right, the things that we put a form of oil into to zip around during the pandemic from nowhere to nothing, cars. So Biden can reinstate what's called the Corporate Average Fuel Economy Standards, a.k.a. the CAFE Standards. And for some background as to what's happened after the Obama era and into the Trump era, under Obama, these standards were strengthened. Automakers had to increase their fuel efficiency of their fleet by 5% annually. But then Trump tried to roll them back. First, he tried to freeze them. That didn't work. And then he proposed an annual improvement of only 1.5%. California, the largest auto consumer in the U.S. and a state that is exempt 
from federal regulations on fuel efficiency freaked out and wanted to stay with the Obama plan. Trump tried to push back and it has been in litigation ever since. Biden has said that on the first day of his presidency, he will work to implement rigorous new fuel economy standards. And his proposed standards would see that 100% of new sales of light and medium vehicles would be from zero emission vehicles and heavy duty vehicle fuel standards would improve annually. This would have large effects on the auto industry. And to understand that, I called up my colleague Arna Klug, who covers the industry for us, and here's what he had to say. Um, first of all, it would give the auto industry more clarity and also would allow better planning. I mean, companies normally, they prefer to know the, the rules and this um, back and forth of the past is not really a desired scenario. So strengthening the standards, then rolling back, then waiting for a court decision. That's a challenge for a company if you want to, to plan ahead. And the auto industry needs a lot of time, right, to adjust its model policy. This uncertainty that was created by Trump has meant the U.S. auto industry has fallen behind its global peers when it comes to electric vehicle sales. Arna told me that only 2% of the auto sales in the U.S. in 2019 were from pure electric or plug-in vehicles. And of that 2%, one company dominated the market. And as auto companies go, it's not one of the biggins. 80% of U.S. electric vehicle sales are attributed to Tesla at the moment. So the other car makers are lagging. They have some ambitious plans and also made significant investments in recent years. But overall, if you look at the electric vehicle sales and also um, at look at the models that are available on the market, this is still really um, low in the United States. In, in other markets like China or Europe, electric vehicle sales have been increasing, um, especially driven by stricter emission regulations or also government support. So that's like the risk for the U.S. auto industry that they can't keep the pace with this trend overseas. So Biden's plan could push the industry back on track because with autos, as Arne noted, a lot of it is driven by consumer sentiment and consumer sentiment with cars is all about the money. And if you have regulations or rebates for electric cars, then you will have more sales. The ability of regulations to increase the sales of more efficient products is actually what our last Biden move is all about. We've talked about big international moves with the Paris Agreement, the wide-scale sector push toward decarbonization, the wonky well methane leaks, the nice-sounding cafe standards, and last but not least, we have building standards. Biden can issue an executive order that tightens efficiency standards for buildings and appliances. In his climate plan, Biden said that he would push for the upgrade of 4 million buildings and the weatherization of 2 million homes over his tenure. And like with cars, if a government puts in regulation to promote the purchase and use of more efficient products, they will likely increase in correspondence with that regulation. To hear more about that, I decided to call up my colleague Morgan Ellis, who is a better expert than I am on green buildings, and I wanted to know what this move by Biden would do to the market and what it would do for more energy efficiency products in general. So firstly, regulations are vitally important for the green building industry, where we've seen minimum standards set um, a minimum level of performance for companies and builders and real estate developers um, are going to work towards regulations um, in terms of setting their green building designs and green building performances. So having a regulation set means there's a minimum level of performance that they will need to achieve. Um, 
when they're building their, their buildings. Now, energy efficiency is not super glamorous and it doesn't, it's not necessarily super high tech, but if um, there's this focus on energy efficiency, it'll be things like changing light bulbs, putting in building fabric insulation, um, upgrading windows, um, upgrading air conditioning and HVAC systems. And the companies that make these products are all rearing to go. Uh, and with these Biden incentives, they may see a boost in their sales. And that's really the investor hook here. It's usually actually the product pitch that people make when they talk about ESG products. That those companies, which have the solutions to the climate crisis, will likely do better in the future than those companies that are, are ill-prepared. But aside from all that, the real benefit of a Biden push on climate change is that there is the real possibility that it will be taken seriously in the U.S. again. Frontline communities are already seeing the effects of the warming planet. There are already skirmishes happening throughout the world for control of water. There is serious risk to our livelihoods if this issue isn't addressed in all sectors of our society immediately. And if you're curious to hear more about my anxiety on this issue, please do not hesitate to reach out. And that's it for the week. I want to thank all my guests, Oliver, Valina, Antonios, Arna, and Morgan for talking to me about this week's news with an ESG twist. And I want to thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, if you get those podcasts on your phone. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as well. Thanks again and talk to you next week. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or produ product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.